The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcast. Please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the University Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we gather for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Victoria Gaskell. Victoria serves as a minister for visitation. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray together. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 and 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from Paul's second epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that this, that is my gospel for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully explaining the word of truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 1 with the Antiphon. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither, In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Glory to you, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, toward the end of their time together. In our text this morning, they are in the borderland between Samaria and Galilee. These were once united as a country, but now are two separate countries whose inhabitants despise each other due to religious and cultural differences that developed over time out of an originally common belief system. In this political and social borderland, ten lepers approach Jesus but do not cross the border of the distance between them. These lepers are feared and outcast because of their disease's contagion and despised because of the common belief that their diseases are somehow connected to sin. One of them is even more feared, outcast, and despised because while the others are Jewish, he is a Samaritan. They call out to Jesus as master, a term of respect, and ask him for mercy. Jesus does not physically cross the border of the distance between them, but with his voice he somewhat conforms conforms to Jewish norms. Usually showing oneself to a priest is directed after a healing occurs so that the healing can be confirmed. But here Jesus vocally directs them to do this before any healing has taken place. It is when the lepers just obey and go that their request is granted, even before they complete the direction. They are healed of their leprosy right then, all of them, including the Samaritan. It is he who turns back, the only one out of the ten who were healed. He praises God and falls at Jesus' feet in gratitude. It is, as Jesus says, this foreigner, who not only has faith in Jesus, and obeys his direction, but also recognizes, as the other nine do not, 
who Jesus is as the agent of God's mercy and grace for him. We have noted before the reminder from independent theologian and disability activist Sharon V. Betcher that the healing stories of the Gospels are never just about the healings. They carry social and political concerns as well. A borderland is the setting for this healing, and as here, borderlands are fluid spaces, at the same time barriers and marks of passage to safety, places where crossings, both official and not, voluntary and forced, are made, where there is often a gathering of many diverse peoples and cultures that intermingle in peace or in war, and where unusual alliances are often formed. The nine Jews and one Samaritan are forced out of the mainstream into the borderland by their illness, and they also remain there and find alliance together for protection and support. After their healing, they all voluntarily are able to cross the border between disease and bodily health back to their religious, social, political, and community life. Perhaps the Samaritan, even more feared, outcast, and despised than the other nine, is also just a little more aware of how much of what God has done in his life and of how much God has restored him to through his healing experience. Jesus, throughout Luke's gospel, is rather a borderland person himself in his willingness to cross political, cultural, and religious barriers, his care for those rejected by society, and his willingness to engage with both the borderland and the people in them. Jesus would have been familiar with the text from Jeremiah that also talks about a border crossing. This crossing was not voluntary. The Israelites are in exile, forced into captivity in Babylon after a crushing defeat in war. Bereft of all they have known, they have crossed a border into a strange land with strange people and strange ways. They have crossed a border from freedom to captivity. Jeremiah's message tells them that their exile and captivity are a consequence of their having gone after other gods and of rebellion against their covenant with God specific to Israel. In our text this morning, he describes how they are to bear their exile so that their faithfulness might restore them to right relationship with God. They are not to destroy themselves by direct resistance to their captors. Instead, they are to make the most of their time in Babylon as they can. They are to build houses and live in them. They are to make friends of their captors, even ally with them through marriage and children. They are to plant gardens, create places of beauty and nourishment, and even more, They are to seek the welfare of the city where they now live in in exile and pray on its behalf. For it is in the welfare of the city of exile and captivity, full of borders and crossings, that they will find their own welfare and redemption. 
Our lives, too, have many instances of borderlands and crossings. National, state, and city borders, certainly. Social, cultural, political, and, re and religious borders, now more fluid and more contested than ever. In New England, as in other parts of the country, we cannot help being aware of natural borderlands, often the most fluid, beautiful, and bountiful. The borderlands between land and sea, mountain and valley, forest and meadow, town and country, garden and wilderness. It is in our borderlands that we, too, find the most diversity and change, fluidity and barrier, conflict and alliance. It is notable that these texts about borderlands, about voluntary and forced border crossings, and about forced and voluntary encounters with strangers in the borderlands, come to us this year on Indigenous Peoples' Day weekend. The word indigenous originally, and still does, mean plants and animals that grow or live or occur naturally in a place, that have not moved there from nor been brought to that place from somewhere else. More recently, the word also encompasses the people who originally lived in a place, rather than the people who moved there from somewhere else, or especially, rather, than the people who colonized the original places of indigenous people. The Boston University calendar marks tomorrow as Indigenous Peoples Day, a Boston University holiday on which to reflect, to remember indigenous peoples with ceremony, and to recognize and celebrate their endurance, resilience, and contribution to American life and culture in the face of so many generations and counting of settler colonialism. Certainly, the border lands and border crossings of indigenous people around the world bear some reflection, as they display distressing similarities and have a bearing on our own American future. Here I'm going to apologize for my pronunciation, as I have never heard his name spoken, and I mean no offense if I mispronounce it. Te Ahokaramu Charles Royal is a New Zealand Maori musician, university professor, and Maori music revivalist. His work reflects the thought of many indigenous thinkers, including many of those in the United States, when he defines the term indigenous with regard to worldview. He uses the term indigenous to describe those peoples and cultures whose worldviews place certain special significance on the idea of the unity of humans with the natural world. In these worldviews, humans are integral to the environment and have a seamless relationship with nature which includes all of its components of seas, lands, rivers, mountains, flora, and fauna. The borderlands and border crossings of the indigenous peoples in our country have to a large extent been shaped in negative and even horrific ways by the conflict between the American historical general view of the natural world and the indigenous culture's continuing general view.
Historically and practically, the American general view of the natural world is that it is something to compete with and exploit, while a general indigenous view of the natural world values a more cooperative and relational model with the rest of creation. This conflict has not only resulted in land grabs, resource theft, and widespread pollution of their earth, air, and water for indigenous populations. Fueled by the cultural assumptions of racism and by poverty-inducing public policy, this conflict has also led to devastating and continuing indigenous intergenerational loss and trauma. Such a pattern of conflict is common throughout the world between colonizing and indigenous populations with international and cumulative negative effects on both sides and on all of creation. Such conflict is increasingly being regarded as, regarded as unsustainable by many diverse groups of people. Resistance to it continues to be inspired to good effect by the courageous leadership of all kinds of people around the world including many in indigenous individuals and populations. And the chickens are coming home to roost in the increasing challenges to human flourishing brought by the effects of such conflict in the midst of increasingly rapid climate change, which in turn increase the stresses on human freedom and community and the economic, social, and cultural well-being of us all. If we go back far enough, and granted, it may be pretty far, or not, we will all find an indigenous person in our family tree, someone who was an original inhabitant of a land and who was so interwoven into and with the land and its provision that the land shaped their community, politics, social interactions, spiritual awareness, and well-being or lack of it to an extent almost unimaginable to our current individualistic and mechanized way of life. But while we all now, indigenous to a place or not, may be feeling that more being connected to nature might be more essential to our well-being and even to our souls than we thought, most of us who are now not indigenous but are the results of forced or voluntary immigration, and most of us who have been shaped by more or fewer generations of the historical and practical American general view of the land and natural world, most of us can never be truly indigenous in the sense that our contemporary indigenous neighbors are. And we all may yet join with them in the like negative experience of the land and its natural processes being so compromised through historic systemic evil and its present consequences that its effects on our lives might become more negative than positive, and that it will take all of us to make an enormous effort to heal everyone's environment, if that even remains possible. We all soon may be involved in contemporary involuntary border crossings that we may not welcome at all, geographic, social, political, and personal. Many Americans of all sorts have already been forced into contemporary border crossings into strange territory with strange people and strange ways, and even into what feels like exile through floods and fire, hurricane and tornadoes, and sea rise. 
migratory and breeding changes for birds and pollinators, as well as bloom cycle changes and unusual weather patterns with warming seas foretell changes in food resources. The predictions of continuing and new pandemics threaten continuing loss of both loved ones and precious diversity and potential. To think that we might escape any trouble by denying the situation or by travel in our spaceships with our friends to a terraformed Mars, or that we can protect ourselves from change by buying up acreage and hiring armed guards is only realistic up to a point, or not at all. Unless the necessary changes in our consumption and unsustainable extraction, our prejudices and our pride are made by everyone individually and together we all may come to feel like exiles who have crossed a border as we no longer recognize the place we live in or the people, flora, and fauna we live with. For now, many of us remain in borderlands, and the borders still remain fluid. In this meantime, we all can take the opportunity to wait upon and work voluntarily toward the border crossing back into health and into social, political, religious, and community life for everyone, especially for those have, who have already suffered and continue to suffer great harm. For it is in all creation's welfare that we will find our own. And we can turn back to Jeremiah also for insight in how to indirectly resist that which tries to hold us captive in hopelessness and despair. We can live, really live, now in the present, in the places we are, locally and with a wider sense of how interconnected we are to a larger whole. Build or maintain houses and live in them. Make friends with those around us, strangers and familiar faces alike, and even ally with them, if not through marriage and children, through shared purpose and projects toward our mutual flourishing. Plant gardens even in a Babylon. Create places of beauty and nourishment where we are, even in unwelcome places. Even more, seek the welfare of the place where we live. Seek in the sense of knowing what that welfare is and working towards it, no matter if the, we are there voluntarily or not and we can pray on behalf of that place and all its people. For it is in the place where we live, really live, full of borders and crossings, that we will find our own welfare. This is a tall order. We have all been through a lot, and the unprecedented still seems to keep coming. How do we sustain ourselves in the midst of all the challenges we face? The author of 2 Timothy writes encouragement as a mentor to his mentee, who is a young man of faith living out a life of ministry in sharing the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. As people of faith, we too can take the author's words to heart, as he has also experienced challenge and hardship in his work, but still contains continues in his faith and is not discouraged in his work. He tells us, first of all, we can remember Jesus and the power of God loose in the world toward resurrection. 
We can look for signs of that power at work in the world today and cooperate with it. Even though we may feel chained by circumstance, the word of God is not changed. The po- chained. The power of God is not chained. We can endure the costs of sharing the good news of God's love and empowerment for us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for our own sakes as well as for the sakes of others. The words of verses 11 through 13 are a Christ hymn. We can say or sing them to ourselves. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We can remind ourselves and others of these certainties. We can warn ourselves and others before God against the destructive wrangling over words, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Instead, we can do the work as best we can, rightly explaining the word of truth so that God would approve of us as workers who have no need of being ashamed. As we reflect on all this, we might also go back to the story of Jesus and the ten lepers. Faith in Jesus is basic to faith. Obedience to his directions will bring about healing just by going, before the direction is even completed. And it is the joyful praise of God, the gratitude to Jesus as God's agent of mercy and grace, that marks this Samaritan, this foreigner, as a true person of faith. It is gratitude for the mercy and healing of God at work in our own lives of borders and crossings that most of all will empower us to meet our challenges and cross the border back into health and well-being for ourselves and for the world. Gratitude to God. Amen.
We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. In gratitude and humility, let us join together in prayer on behalf of all God's creation. Majestic God, we give you thanks for land and water, seed time and harvest. Break down boundaries that we construct between ourselves and the rest of your creation. Bring renewal and restoration to places affected by pollution and deforestation. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Mighty God, we give you thanks for those in our community, nation, and world who work for justice and peace. Guide those who govern to act on behalf of those marginalized by race, ethnicity, or religion. Hear us, God, your mercy is great. Merciful God, we give you thanks that you hear the cries of those who in need. Restore to community those who are stigmatized by illness, feel rejected, or live in isolation. Send healing to all who suffer. Hear us, God. Your mercy is great. Eternal God, we give you thanks for your faithful people who have gone before us to your glory. Renew our trust in your eternal promises of mercy, redemption, and new life. Hear us, God. Your mercy is great. With grateful hearts, we commend our spoken and silent prayers to you, O God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious God, accept these gifts and with them our lives to be used in your service. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, beloved, let us go from this place in peace to reflect especially this weekend with our indigenous neighbors on the beauty and challenges of an interconnected creation, to recognize the power, mercy, and grace of God in our lives with gratitude for our continued life and for the continued life of the world. In the name of God, who makes us who loves us, who keeps us in and through everything. Amen.